0: Well, good morning. My name is Josh, one of the pastors on staff here, and I have the awesome privilege of sharing with you this morning. And today we are going to be looking at a very famous Bible story. I wouldn't be surprised if everybody in this room, even if you don't have a church background, um, if you're familiar with this story. And I think for a lot of us, when we hear um, specific characters from scripture, especially for the Old Testament. I think for many of us, uh, we get this mental picture or this image of that person or of that story. And so what I thought we would do this morning, just to have a little bit of fun to start things off, is play some Bible Pictionary. And so what I'm going to do is put a picture up on the screen, and you guys, I need you to participate in this. I need you to just shout out the answer to the Bible story. So when you see the picture, just shout out whatever person or Bible story that is. Does that make sense? And it's very easy. I think you guys will get 100%. So here's the first one. Noah's Ark, right? I think for a lot of us, when we hear Noah or when we think of the Ark, we get a picture similar to this, a gigantic boat, rain coming down, animals in it. All right, how about this one? Yes, very good. Moses parting of the Red Sea. You either think of this or Bruce Almighty, right, when he like is <laughs> over the thing and it... You know, does this little, and I think it was a tomato soup or something, all right? So Moses, party in the Red Sea, how about this one? Jonah. Jonah, right? In the belly of the fish. We maybe think of something like this. This looks more like a shark than a fish, I don't know, but I think many of us think of Jonah in the, in the belly of his fish when we hear Jonah. How about this one? David and Goliath, right? This is my son Xander's favorite story. I could tell him this story three times a day, every day, and he would still be so excited to hear it. He loves this story. All right, and our last one, what about this? Daniel Daniel in the lion's den. This is going to be our story that we're going to talk about today. I think for a lot of us, when we think of Daniel, we, we picture him in the lion's den. However, as we're going to discover, this picture is a little bit inaccurate because Daniel wasn't this young strapping boy that most picture bibles portray him as he was actually in his early 80s so he, he was pretty old and um i i also don't really like this picture because i don't think it really describes daniel that well i think i have a picture that describes daniel a little bit better it's this my truck <laughs> i love this thing you see Daniel's described in chapter one as being youthful and of good appearance and without blemish kind of like my truck. (laughs) Looks not, not so much, but when it comes to Daniel's faithfulness and his reliability, Daniel's just like my truck. Or you could say my truck is just like Daniel. Because ever since 1989, when this truck was first put together, it has served its owners faithfully. It's had two owners, myself and then a family friend that we bought it off of before I owned it. And since 1989, it has never let any one of its owners down. In the 15 years that I've owned it, I've never been stranded. I put the key in, I turn it on, it starts, and it goes. Now granted, the windows don't really roll down. It's 15 different colors. It leaks oil. You have to reach around from the inside to open the door. But the thing is faithful. And this might come as a surprise to many of you, but I've actually lost count of the number of people who have come up to me, it's usually in a Walmart parking lot, and say, dude, can I buy buy this truck off you? (laughs) Even though I've never put a for sale sign on it. See, people know that these trucks are faithful and reliable, so they're willing to pay money for it, even if it looks like this. And I turn them down every time. See, what, what people find attractive about this truck or appealing, or if we want to use the word that we've been using in this series, what people find winsome about this truck is its faithfulness. And what we're going to discover in our study this morning and what is our big idea for today is this, that oftentimes the most winsome form of outreach is our faithfulness to God. So many times, the thing that is most attractive or most appealing about Christianity to a watching world is how we faithfully respond to God in various areas of our life. And we're going to see that in the life of Daniel this morning. And so we're going to look at Daniel in the lion's den, and we're going to discover three areas of faithfulness. These were three areas that Daniel was just faithful in in his life and that were attractive It it, it was attractive and appealing and winsome to the people around him. So that's our goal for today. And I want to, before we jump into scripture, just really quickly define faithfulness. Because it's a word that we use a lot in the church, and I think we all have a pretty good understanding of what it means. But just so we're all on the same page, here's a quick definition of faithfulness. It's just loyal, constant, reliable, like my truck, and unwavering. So with that in mind, let's jump into Daniel chapter 6. We're going to start off in verse 1. We're going to read through and discover these areas of faithfulness in Daniel's life. So we read that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. That's our key word for today. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So this first little chunk of scripture, you know, if we actually were to go back into chapter 5, we would read how King Belshazzar is killed and this guy Darius steps into the scene. He takes over the kingdom. And again, Daniel's, you know, he's in his early 80s at this point. He's fairly old. This is now the third king that he has served. First, it was Nebuchadnezzar. Then Belshazzar, now this guy Darius, and Darius has this idea, and he says, you know what, I don't want to get ripped off, so I'm going to set up a system to ensure that that doesn't happen. So he sets 120 satraps, which were kind of like governors, over the various provinces of his kingdom, and then over those 120 were three higher officials, one of whom was Daniel. These would have been guys that the king had to trust. They would have had had to have been loyal and Daniel was one of them. And, and Daniel did such a good job at his work that the king wanted to actually elevate him to an even higher position, a position that he kind of oversaw the whole kingdom. That's how good he was at his job. And his co-workers hated him for it. And they hated him probably because they wanted to take a cut of the king's money. They wanted to make money off of the king. But with Daniel in the picture, they couldn't do it. They couldn't steal from the king because... Daniel was there. And so they, they try to come up with something. They man, we have to get this guy impeached. We have to get him out of the picture. And so they try to dig up some, some dirt on him. They try to find some skeletons in the closet. But because Daniel was so faithful in his work over the span of his life, they could not do it. And they realize, man, the only way we're going to get this guy out of the picture is if we come up with something that's in connection with the law of his God. And so they start talking and they start planning But what I found so interesting as I was studying through this is actually in verse 3. Because the part of speech that we translate became distinguished is actually a verb. And if you go back to like, I don't know, second or third or fourth grade, you would remember that a verb is an action word. I mean, Daniel actively sought to distinguish himself in the workplace. He wasn't one of those like lazy people that just struck the lottery and got rich and just found favor with king after king. He actually worked hard at his job. And I think Daniel gives us a great example of how we can work in our job too. You know, he had the perspective to realize that all the gifts that he had, all the abilities that he had, all the talents that he had were given to him by God. And he wanted to use those gifts and those talents and not waste them see, I think Daniel saw his job not just as a place to earn money, but as a platform in which he could actually live out his faith. And I wonder if if we have that same type of perspective, realizing that, man, every breath that I have, every gift that I have is a gift given to me by God, and I'm going to use those things, whether that's in the workplace or at school, wherever that might be. I think Daniel had that perspective, and he gives us Uh, just a great example to live by. And that brings us to the first area in our life that we can be faithful to. Here's a quick picture of what it might look like for Daniel to serve the king. But the first area that we can be faithful to God in is our workplace. You know, we all have somebody over us, whether that's a teacher or a parent. We all either work somewhere, have worked somewhere, are involved in something and again, I just wonder, do we view those, those circles in our lives, those areas in our lives, do we view that as a place where we can actually live out our faith, or do we just try to get to the end of the day so we can go home? Do we just work for the weekend, or work through the week to get to the weekend and enjoy two days and then wake up on Monday and, oh, I hate this, this is so miserable, or do we have that kind of attitude like Daniel did, or seem like he was actually excited to go to work? and to serve the king. Even though the king was pagan, he had the perspective to realize that, man, I'm actually working for the king above the king. And I wonder if we have that same perspective that he did. And this is actually one of our values here at Cornerstone. I'll throw this picture up really quick because our hope is that we would gather on Sundays and that we would connect in, our, in small groups, that we would serve where God has gifted us, and that we would engage the circles that he has us in. Again, whether that's at school, if you're a student, whether that's at a workplace, or maybe you're, part of, you're retired and you're part of a club, whatever that might look like in your life, our hope is at a, as a church is that we would be known as people who actually engage those around us. That's our vision. That's our hope here at Cornerstone. And Paul actually has something to say to this. You know, when he's talking to, in, in the book of Colossians, he's talking to slaves who have earthly masters over him. And in Colossians chapter 3, he says... Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, Daniel had that perspective even before these words were written. He realized, man, I am serving the king above kings. Do we realize that as we go into our workplace, we can be faithful to God and serve Jesus, who is ultimately above our boss or above our parents? Oftentimes, I think that true spiritual faithfulness to God is really demonstrated or proven by equal faithfulness to man. And now we have to hold that lightly because we also have to remember that we don't become yes men or yes women to the people who are over us. Because if anybody, regardless of their relationship to us, if anybody uh, asks us to do something that would cause us to sin, we have the right to say no, because ultimately we're here to obey God and to be faithful to him sometimes disobeying an earthly power is the path to obeying God as we're going to see in Daniel's life. So I'm not saying we just become yes men and yes women to everybody and we remain faithful even if they cause us to sin. I'm not saying that. But so often, just working with integrity and showing up every day with a positive attitude can be such a winsome form of outreach to the people around us. You know, the story goes on because again, being faithful doesn't always make us popular. Daniel's coworkers hated him for it. And they, they, they I'm sure they have a brainstorming session. They, they meet, they come together, and they realize, okay, we gotta, we gotta come up with a plan that puts Daniel in a tough spot. And they realize, oh, I got an idea. So they go to the king and they say, hey, king, we have this fantastic idea. We came together and we thought it would just be great if everybody in the kingdom prayed to you for 30 days. And then if anybody doesn't pray to you, they should be thrown in the lion's den. And it just stroked the king's ego. And he's like, man, I like that idea. Because what better way to unify this kingdom than to have everybody think about me for the next 30 days. So he signs it into law. And I love how Daniel responds because we read in verse 10. that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Second area of our life that we can be faithful in is our prayer life. You know, Daniel didn't wait until things got hard or scary to start praying. The scripture tells us that he just went and he did what he always did. Three times a day, got down on his knees and prayed. That's, that's powerful. Daniel knew what the consequences were if he were to go up into his room and pray. He knew that he would be lion meat. He also understood that the king was about to put him in an even higher position, which meant more power and more money. And by praying, he was basically turning those things down. See, he understood what was at stake, he understood the consequences. And yet he just went up to his room and he did what he faithfully had always done. He just prayed. And when Daniel, it says that Daniel went up to his upper chamber and he had the windows open, I want you to know that it wasn't like he was up there shouting like, hey guys, I'm praying, look at me. You know, he wasn't inviting persecution on himself. He wasn't dumb. He was just simply obeying scripture and he was claiming the prayer promise of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter eight. If you go back, you know that after the temple was made, Solomon dedicated it. And he he spends this, it's it's an awesome chapter, 1 Kings chapter eight, if you go back and read it. But he spends time praying. And he says, God, if anybody physically turns and looks at this place, speaking of the temple in Jerusalem, he says, if anybody looks at this place and prays to you, will you hear them and forgive them? And then he goes on in his prayer and he says that if they sin against you, talking about God's people, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Remember, this, this is Daniel's life. The Babylonians came in, they captured him. He's living in a far off land. It says, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, Then hear in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carry them captive, that they may have compassion on them. This is what Daniel was praying when he was up in the room. He was just being obedient. He was obeying scripture. And I really believe that he was praying that God, would, would these people who have captured us, would they have compassion on us? And I think God heard his prayers. Because Daniel was used in a mighty way. I think he did have compassion with the kings. This is powerful stuff. And I wonder if our life is shaped like Daniel's life when it it comes to terms of uh, prayer. You know, and I think Daniel's coworkers were attracted to his prayer life. I think they did find it winsome. However, I think they were attracted to it for the wrong reasons. They wanted to use it against him. But thankfully, what they meant for evil, God used for good. And it might be hard for you to believe that um, prayer is actually a winsome form of outreach. But as Epi shared, you know, he kept getting those, those, those text messages from his friends saying, hey, we're praying for you. And I'm standing here today as proof of the fact that prayer really can be a winsome form of outreach. Now, I want to be careful because I'm not saying that we go to the street corners and we make a big scene and we try to draw attention to ourselves. Jesus speaks about that in the New Testament. Uh, I'm not saying we we showboat or we become like the Pharisees and just heap up these empty words and, and make a big scene about it. But when we are just faithful in our prayer life and when we live out what we actually believe, people notice that and I think they're attracted to it. Because some of you guys know my story. And, and this is an unfortunate theme of this morning, and it wasn't planned, but um, back in 2005, I came to church for the first time. I was not a believer. Jesus was like Santa Claus or the unicorn to me, just this make-believe figure, you know, but I, I, I go to church, and in the middle of that church service, I get a phone call that my dad died. And so I leave the church service, and I go home, and I'm crying with my family, and you know, we're, we're just all huddled around the living room, and we get this knock on the door, I open the door and it's these people from church. And they say, Josh, can we come in? We, we heard about what happened. And so we let them in and, and they come in and they say, can we pray for you? I said, yeah. And so they spend time praying for me. And to be honest, I don't remember a single word of their prayer. But what I do remember and what sticks with me to this day is that those strangers took time out of their day and out of their life to come And pray with me. And I remember thinking in that room that day, wow, these people are actually doing what they were just talking about. These people are actually doing what they believe. And that spoke volumes to me. And that is what attracted me to the church. And I'll never forget the man who is now my father-in-law put his hand on my shoulder, looked me square in the face, and said, Josh, my family will pray for your family every day this week. I will never forget that because I remember thinking, man, maybe these people aren't as like hypocritical as I thought they were. Like they, they actually care about me. They're taking time to pray for me. That was winsome to me. That was attractive to me. And we never know how God's going to use our prayer life. Just faithfully praying for those people and asking them just, hey, can I, can I spend some time for you, praying for you? They might turn us down. That's okay. You know, again, we're not trying to make a big deal out of it. But you just never know how God might use our prayer life to draw people to himself. So that's the second area that we can be faithful in, is our prayer life. And the story goes on. You know, Daniel gets caught in the act of praying. And his coworkers go to the king and they tattle on him. And they, they say, you know, they remind the king, Hey, king, don't you remember that law that, that you uh, wrote in the place that says that everybody has to pray to you for 30 days? And if they don't pray to you, they get thrown into the lion's den. And the king's like, yeah, yeah, I remember that law. And they say, well, you remember Daniel? Yeah, he's breaking that law. He's actually praying to his God three times a day. And the king starts freaking out. And he's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Because he realizes I'm about to lose my best man. I'm about to lose my best worker. And so he spends all that day trying to figure out how he's going to save Daniel. But he can't. And so we read In verse 16, that the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Again, this is pointing to Daniel's faithfulness. The the king realizes, hey, there's nothing I can do to save you. So Daniel, may your God, the one that you are so faithful to, the one that you are constantly serving, may he deliver you from this predicament, because obviously I can't. And many of us know how the story goes. The stone is rolled in front of the opening. It's sealed. The king goes back to his palace and he has a restless, sleepless night. Daniel's hanging out in the den of lions. And what I find funny is that the Bible actually spends more words and more time talking about the king's night and how miserable it was than it does talking about Daniel's night in the lion's den. The truth is we don't really know what happened with Daniel in the den. Maybe he slept... Maybe he hung out with the angel that was in there. Maybe he made friends with the cats and was like petting them. We, we have no idea what Daniel did. But it's probably safe to assume that Daniel had a better night than the king did. And the story goes on. We read in verse 19. That at day of break, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, it's funny how the king addresses him, has your God, whom you serve continually, again, faithfulness, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. He's still paying respect to the person above him. He says, my God, and I love how he says that, he makes it known to the king, like, hey, king, this was not of your doing at all. It wasn't your people that you sent in. It wasn't your power. It was actually my God who sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O oh, king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted In his God. This leads us to the third area of our life that we can be faithful in, and that is our trials. You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that anybody who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. We also live in a broken world that is tainted by sin. Bad stuff will happen, it's inevitable. We will face persecution if we choose to follow Jesus. Hard things will come. We should expect those things. They they really shouldn't come as a surprise to us. I know they do. You know, It's part of living in a broken world. But but we should expect these things. And how we walk through those trials can speak volumes to the people around us about God and his character. Because when we can walk through hopeless situations with hope, People are like, man, what's going on there? I don't quite understand that. Can you tell me how you're going through this situation with so much hope? We can open up that conversation to share about Jesus. See, I think Daniel had a different perspective when it came to trials in his life. He had a track record. He could look back and see how faithful God was in his life. So he could step into these trials knowing that, man, God's gonna show up one way or another. You know, it, it kind of reminds me, like last week, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think Daniel had the same kind of mindset that they did. Where the king's like, yeah, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they're like, okay. Like, I, I know my God has the power to save me from that and deliver me. But if he doesn't, then, then that's all right. You know, they had like what Pastor Tom was talking about, that Paul mindset. Hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm here on earth, I'm going to be talking about Jesus. If I'm killed, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. It's a win-win situation. And as I'm reading through this, I'm like, man, how can we get to that place in our lives where we just have that kind of hope, where we can just totally trust God and walk through trials, where we can look at trials and even death in its face and remain faithful to God? How, How can we do that? And as I was thinking about it, I know there's more than one way, but but this way has been the biggest way for me. And uh, Larry Osborne, who wrote the book Thriving in Babylon, the book that we've referenced a couple times throughout this series, he has some insight on this. And this, again, is just something that has helped me personally. I hope that it helps you. And it's very simple. You just remember two words. God wins. That changes everything. I can summarize the book of Revelation in two words. God wins. And I know it's hard in the midst of trials to focus on this and to believe this, and, and I'm not just trying to like make whatever trial you're going through into this like cutesy little phrase, because I know that it is painful, just like Epi again was sharing. It hurts. We have emotions, and we have to deal with those things. But remembering these words can help us. It can ensure that we don't live in that place of despair. Because ultimately our hope is in a victorious God. I think Daniel realized that, and that's why he could step into these situations. And whatever kind of trial you're walking through right now, I know some of you are like, man, Josh, you have no idea. Like, that's, that's good and all, but you don't know my situation. And I want you to know that I don't know your situation, And some of you guys are going through some extremely hard stuff. And it may seem like that trial is defeating you. But I want to encourage you and remind you that it is only the third quarter. There's still a whole nother quarter of game time. And I've read how this game ends. I've read how this story ends. And God wins. He is victorious. And there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and everybody will see that he is victorious. And that should give us hope Amen. in the midst of trials. Amen. That should change the way we see these things. There's, there's power in these words. Daniel realized that. And I hope we would realize that too because that can be one of the most winsome and attractive Forms of outreach to the people around us, when they see somebody go through trials and they're like, "Man, how are you doing this?" And you say, "Man, it's not me, it's Jesus. Let me tell you about him." And you open up that conversation. Those are three areas in Daniel's life that he remained faithful. in. the story goes on, and we read about uh, the people who actually tried to get Daniel to thrown into the den, they get thrown into the den, along with their families is extremely horrible but it's a reminder to us that sin always affects other people it doesn't matter how small the pebble is it's thrown into the lake it causes ripples and our sin is the same exact way and so after that unfortunate um, event the king not daniel but this pagan king writes these words to the whole entire kingdom to hear and he says for he is the living god Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. A pagan king wrote that to the whole entire kingdom to read. That's powerful. Now obviously, you know, being faithful to God isn't always going to be attractive to everybody. Just like we read about Daniel's co-workers. Not everybody finds my truck appealing or attractive. And that, that's okay. But over the span of his life, Daniel just faithfully served these kings, realizing that he was ultimately serving the king above kings. And that was attractive to the kings that he served. And Daniel was used in a powerful way to not only influence the kings that he served, but to influence the whole entire kingdom that he was forced into. We never know how God is going to use us, whether that be in the workplace, whether that be our prayer life, or whether that be in our trials. The bottom line is really that God just desires for us to be faithful to the things that he calls us to, and he takes care of the results. The results are in his hand. He just calls us to be faithful to the things that he reveals to us. He says, I want you to take this step. You take it and you just trust him with the results. We don't know where that's going to lead, but we can trust him because God has been faithful to us. His track record is flawless. You can read through the scriptures to discover that. And Because of his faithfulness to us, we can be faithful to him and trust him for the results. So as we close, I have just a few next steps. These are things that we can do to help us apply this message so that it's more than just words on a Sunday so we can actually live this out throughout the week. So our first one is to do something extraordinary to serve someone who's over you. And just remember, extraordinary doesn't always mean expensive. All right, kids, if there's any kids in the room, one of the most extraordinary ways that you can serve the parents over you is just to pick up a new chore around the house. Whether that be picking up dog poop or unloading the dishwasher or vacuuming, whatever that might be, you can do something extraordinary to serve your parents by just simply picking a new chore and saying, Mom, I want to take this off your plate. I'll do it. Or Dad, I want to do this for you so you can free up a little bit more time. That that, that speaks volumes, especially if your parents aren't believers. So it could be that. It could be as simple as going to work And getting a hot cup of coffee and putting it on your boss's desk every morning with a little sticky note with some uh, encouraging words on there. And you just do that faithfully time and time again. Eventually, that boss is going to come in your office and be like, why do you keep doing this? Like, I appreciate it, but, but what's with this? And you have a chance to open up that conversation. You can do something extraordinary for the person over you by just choosing to be different in the workplace. Maybe you live in, a, in an area where there's just a lot of negativity and everybody grumbles. Maybe you're like, you know what? I want to change things around here. So as hard as it might be, I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit that dwells in me to give me the power to walk in every day and encourage people. And you could be that voice of hope. And trust me, your boss will thank you for it. All right, so that's the first one. Just do something extraordinary to serve someone who's over you. The second one is to pray thank-filled prayers. You know, if we were to go back and look at Daniel's prayer life, the way it's described in the beginning of this chapter, it says he prayed and gave thanks to God. Despite his situation, he still gave thanks to God. And if our prayer lives aren't marked by thanksgiving and gratitude, then something's wrong. Because I know how easy it is to get stuck in the rut and pray, God, help me in this area. God, help me do this. Help me do that. And all of a sudden, we become the focus point of our prayers. It's God, help me in all of these various areas. But see, when we give thanks, when we are grateful, we recognize that God, whatever it is in my life, I'm thanking you for. It wasn't me, it wasn't my doing. I'm giving thanks to you and the focus shifts from us to him. Keeps our eyes on him. I think Daniel had the wisdom to know how to pray. I think his prayer life was marked with thanksgiving and if ours is not marked by thanksgiving, let's spend some time just offering up prayers that are filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. So that's the second one. The third one is to remind yourself every day this week that God wins. I don't know about you, but I think I need this reminder like five times a day. Because I watch the news and I see things happen and oftentimes it's like, God, you do not seem like you're winning. But it's only the third quarter. So we can remind ourselves that God wins by memorizing this very powerful but simple verse. And I know because of smartphones, it's extremely difficult to memorize things. Like we can't even memorize seven digits anymore for a phone number. So let's work at this together. I know we can do it, church. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's power in that. So let's let's read this once together so at least we all say it. All right? And then we'll close in prayer. And continue worshiping God. So are you ready? One, two, three. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are good, that you are powerful, that you are sovereign, that you have a track record of being faithful, and so we in turn can be faithful to you when you call us to do difficult things, whether that's in the workplace. Whether that's in our prayer life or even in our trials. So, God, we ask that you would just help us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Because there is a world that is watching us. And as soon as we associate ourselves with you, Jesus, man, it's like those looks get even more intense. And people want to find even more excuses to point things out in our lives. And so, help us to walk like Daniel did with wisdom and with integrity to be filled with hope. And Lord, we can't do that on our own, so we just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to do those things. Because we want to represent you well, Jesus. Because you are the only source of hope and truth in this life, and we want to point people to that. So forgive us for the times that we've messed up. Thank you that your grace is so much bigger than our mistakes. Lord, use us this day and this week to make a powerful impact in this city. Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.